SWAT Cats The Red Eccles Squadron was created by Christian and Yvonne Tremblay for Hanna-Barbera Cartoons Incorporated. Support the SWAT Cats Revolution Kickstarter by visiting SWATCatsRevolution.com. And remember to buy SWAT Cats DVDs at WBShop.com. This is a SWATCats.info production. Welcome to the Mega SWATCast, a show by SWATCats fans for SWATCats fans, featuring episode commentary with soundbites, synopses, and observations about Mega Cat City's heroes and villains that are occasionally amusing. Please adjust your humor targeting displays to the lowest common denominator, and note that the accuracy of recollection missiles may vary. Now adjust your bandanas, put on your Glovatrix, and get ready to go full throttle. Hello all SWAT Cats fans, welcome again to the Mega SWAT Cast. On this episode, our host commentators are... I'm Robert, otherwise known as Knee Knight. I'm Di, better known as Sage. And I'm Matt, better known as Modad. Whichever app, website, or can tie to a string you're listening to this podcast on, please make sure to favorite, like, subscribe, and follow, especially on Twitter, at the SWATCats, so you can keep up to date on the latest SWATCats news, fandom projects, and occasional few seconds of amusement. Now, on to the show. I have a little confession to make. I don't think I've actually watched an episode of SWAT Cats in 10 years. Most of these things I've been doing have been purely from memory. Shame. For shame. I have to join in with that. This is the first episode I've watched before we've done a podcast recording. I made it about halfway, but then I ran out of time and I had a lot of other interruptions occur. Most of it's still up here. And fortunately, we do have a resident Dark Cat expert who's joining our panel today. For this episode, I'd like to welcome our special host, panelist, commentator, Felony Cat, one of the SWAT Cats fandom's longest participating members, a longtime SWATCats.info contributor, the proprietor of Dark Cat's Doomsday page, located at darkcat.com, administrator of megacatcity.com forums, and co-creator of the popular Nova Squadron fan comic. You can find her artwork galleries and links to all of her social media hangouts at felonycat.com. And in true Mega Cat City style, that's cat spelled with a K. Are you saying I'm old? I think Sage has been along in the fandom a lot longer than me, so... I'm just saying experienced. Oh, that's better. Felony is probably the closest person we have to, I guess, a dark cat expert. Definitely a leading dark cat fan. Even my even my son knew why they picked me. He's like, I know why they picked you for that episode. It's like, that's sad. <laughs> I just thought he was the best villain in the SWAT Cats. He was, you know, the Joker to Batman. He's the ultimate one. He's the one that actually caused them the most problems, both psychological and physical with the destruction in the city and everything. And I like Purple. He's big and creepy. He could freaking, like you'll see in this episode... He picked up T-Bone, man, and just, you know, WWE-style lifting him up. <laughs> strength and power! That is scary! And I'm seeing strength! Oh, my God! He's just got it all as far as villains, good villains go. A lot of the psychological plotting and scheming from Dark Cat seems a little bit unfair. Some of our protagonists are a little dumb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that later. We are on to the third episode of SWAT Cats The Radical Squadron, The Wrath of Dark Cat, Season 1, Episode 3, directed by Robert Alvarez. That's a safe bet. The air date was originally September 25th or 26th, depending on where you lived in 1993. This was written by Jim Stenstrom. A lot of people think that Glenn Leopold wrote this one, but it was actually Jim Stenstrom, who also wrote the Metallicats, the uh, official unofficial description on SWAT Cats info that I have for this one is Dark Cat. The SWAT Cats arch nemesis has returned. The SWAT Cats must face their own past 
to stop him from destroying Mega Cat City with a nuclear bomb. So sounds like an exciting adventure that we're in store for here. One thing that I noticed right away at the beginning of this episode is a peculiar thing, and I was thinking about saving this to the end, but I can't resist bringing it up now. You know how when your parents are driving you around in their car, and as a child you want them to stop and do something like go to a fast food restaurant or stop at the toy store they see or drive past something for no particular reason? I imagine that's what Dark Cat's creeplings are urging him to do. No, for the last time we're not going to McDonald's. They're my little pony toys with the Happy Meals. No, not even if it's Twilight Sparkle. Piggy Pie? Hmm. Oh, I guess we have time. Because that's the only way I can think to explain why Dark Cat. An otherwise methodical and highly deliberate villain would take his Doomsday Express aircraft past a major bridge thoroughfare and fire his heat ray for no apparent reason on his way to the ultimate objective, which he later states is kind of on a strict time frame. Well, actually, I think there was a reason for that. It seemed like where this was, the nuclear facility was located. I think he was trying to cut down the enforcers. At least, of course, they got their jets and everything, but I figured he was kind of doing that to cut down the security of the enforcers on in their vehicles, on the land vehicles, the peacekeeper tanks and all that for coming there. That's the reason I figured why they showed that. Likewise. Well, if that's the reason, it works horribly. <laughs> it does. The tanks and the jets and everything still wind up. <laughs> they end up there. <laughs> Not only does the enforcers get through, but, you know, Press and the deputy mayor get through it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine she was already on, you know, past the bridge at that point. So clearly, there is another route there. So his timing was off. Five minutes, maybe. <laughs> well, it is the creeplings running it. There we go. As soon as we cut to the power plant, we see Darkad in his Doomsday Express scatters a bunch of guards outside. There's this recurring motif in the show where our supervillain likes to project themselves on some sort of futuristic 3D hologram. He gives everyone pretty fair warning. Citizens of Megacat City, this is Darkad. My business at this facility will be brief. I warn you. Do not you know, pretty much hit and run, take what he needs. And all the while, his airship is protected by a uh, force field. And essentially, he seems to block any sort of attack from reaching him or damaging him. So he can sort of leisurely rob the place at his own discretion. And he sends out his signature minions, the Creeplings, who take out this lead-shielded casket. And they do so doing what I like to call the uh, Looney Tunes flying. One wing on each side, which, <laughs> as everyone knows, is uh, the best way to move things around. Fly, my pretties, fly! Okay, but we can only go in a circle. <laughs> I do like, though, how you described it as, you know, hit and run. As, the way you said it, it was like you describing somebody popped into the store to get some milk. You know, I'm not here for anything else. I'm just, you know, here to pick up the essentials. Milk, plutonium, maybe a bottle of bread. That's it. That's all I need. He just wanted to seem big and imposing and like, look, don't mess with me. And of course, all the little clone security guys try anyway. And I think it's a standard of anybody in the security force or anybody in the enforcers in Mega Cat City. You learn in training how to quickly get out of a tank or jeep because you know that's going to get blown up. If you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. Is there a cloning program going on that everybody looks alike in the enforcers and in security? Because I, I always wondered about that. I mean, unless these were all a bunch of twins and triplets and quintuplets born together, I don't see how they can have so many with the same art style and look. Well, they do go through so many of them. I think, you know, it, there must be some sort of production facility at Pumadine or something like that. You know, there's some sort of mold that you go, there we go, we've got another couple of enforcers for you. A generic enforcer button. <laughs> there are several Octomoms in Mega Cat City. <laughs> Bad infantile fertilization. Well, these are cats, you know. Maybe, maybe they have litters occasionally, you know. 
and they, they was all signed up for the enforcers. It's a very sad day for a particular family when an entire battalion is stepped on by a giant monster of the week. The person going to deliver that message goes, <sighs> I don't want to read this. I've got a whole, a, a whole band full of those little triangle flag things and I just don't want to read this out. Death by Bouncy Ball! What even is that? <laughs> But they breach the reactor room. Uh, we have our token guy there who takes a moment to uh, yell at the creeplings. Stop! This is a secured area! It's not that secure. It, it's behind a wooden door and the reactor is made of glass. Why are there no force fields around these places? We've established that force fields exist, so why not just use those? Exactly. They have to uh, get that in the next fiscal budget. <laughs> That's not an excuse! <laughs> Well, how else are we going to afford another Manx statue? I'll just raise taxes to rebuild your building. I'm willing to bet that after the giant bacteria, Manx probably has one of those force fields around the that statue. I would hate to live there and imagine that your taxes had to be like 8-10%. <laughs> Me pointed this out earlier in this little note that I scribbled down to you. If that was a tactic earlier to keep people from getting to the nuclear plant, cutting off the bridge, it does absolutely nothing because apparently everyone's already here. Callie's already here. Deputy Mayor Callie Briggs has just arrived. Farrell's already here. What's the situation here, Commander? Angor and Cat's Eye News are already here. As usual, Cat's Eye News is first on the scene of this late-breaking story at Megacat Nuclear Plant. Tanks are already here. I'm starting to wonder if this was all sort of an RSVP event by Dark Cat, who wanted everyone to show up so that way uh, he'd have an audience. <laughs> that would explain the ice cream stand. You are invited to my latest heist. Please come promptly. Bring a guest. <laughs> RSVP. Bring tacos. Yes, but are they free? What happens if, you know, he sits there and everybody shows up and then, you know, he destroys their little buffet table, the catering set up? <laughs> I think Dark Cat is behind the buffet table. He's planned this so that he can charge for the food. So there's a new character who we're introduced to. Stands out because he does have a different character model and a voice actor, too, so that's always a plus. His name, as he soon tells us, uh, Lieutenant Commander Steele, that's with two E's. And he's cordoning off the area. This area is under enforcer control. Shoes off Callie Briggs a little bit. That means you too, lady. Now listen here, I- He's quickly <laughs> reprimanded by Commander Farrell, who tells him to back off and let the deputy mayor through. Farrell is apologetic for Steele's actions, calling him- He's green and a little too ambitious. Which is an interesting trait to have as your second in command. Yes, it's, it's never never really uh, fortunate to have an ambitious person beneath you. I mean, that, that's the reason why the Sith only do it in two. A master and apprentice. What gets me about Steel is, you know, he's, he's apparently very green. He doesn't really know how to do the job. How, how does he get to be you know, the number two guy without knowing how to do the job? I mean, I'd say he was a brown noser and a political player and all that sort of thing, but he doesn't even know who the deputy mayor is. You know, the person who literally signs his checks every month. Well, and the way Farrell acts around him, I mean, it's clear he doesn't really trust him entirely. Why he would put him in command later on. I'm wondering if there's some sort of city council that maybe chooses these ranks, because Farrell obviously wouldn't have picked this guy. Farrell does seem to only be in charge when it's least advantageous for him, so that's probably true. We have a little interaction between Commander Farrell and Callie. One of the things that I noticed, especially in this episode, and maybe it's just because she was so put off by Steel, Callie seems to be a little extra curt with Farrell on this one. She has some of her meanest exchanges with him in this one. What are they doing here? Your job, Farrell. Farrell very confidently, and it's like he's been saving this ace up his sleeve for a while. Very well. Let's see what he can do against this. Dark Cat will never be able to get three targets traveling faster than the speed of sound. He 
he's referring to, of course, to the Enforcer Air Force, really builds this up. He's really confident about this. He thinks that this is just the greatest thing ever. And they fly in over the horizon to try to do a little airstrike, and they are are hardly on screen before Dark Yet shoots them down, and they just sort of incinerate instantly. The smile's still on his face before it could even, like, react to this. Here we come to save the day, oh! A little before that, he t he tells Kelly that he If you'd like to stay and watch the fireworks... Fireworks? Commander, you can't fire this close to the reactor! One misfire and you'll contaminate the entire city. Farrell says, well, what else do you expect, do you expect me to do? At that point, I'm thinking, Farrell, you, you should know better than this. Couldn't even possibly imagine what was going through his head when he decided, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's just fire on this ship this close to a nuclear facility. What could possibly go wrong? Well, as Kelly didn't seem to have a problem with it when the SWAT cats showed up. The SWAT cats! True. All, ah, <laughs> and then the SWAT cats come up. She's like, all right, do whatever. <laughs> I think that might be what Dark Cat was planning, you know. He could have just gone in there very quietly and got the rods without big make big announcement, but you know, because he was right there, you can't actually fire on him right there. So it's quite a quite a shrewd move for Darker, I think. It's kind of a lose lose situation, and I think Farrell errs on the point of like, well, at least I'm doing something as opposed to nothing. Throw a net over that guy. Net's the solution to everything. <laughs> net the force field. See what happens. Farrell laments, Those were the best pilots I had. Kelly retorts rather snippily, I know two better ones, the SWAT cats. So what are our heroes up to right now? I'm going to go back to, this is something that you mentioned die a while ago. The SWAT cats are repeatedly in predicaments where they try to, and I quote, out crazy each other. <laughs> Using your rubric there, how would you rate this little interaction of, uh, the Mongo pepper eating duel. As a lover of, of spice food, I'd probably join in. <laughs> I'd like to know how hot they are as far as a pepper skit. You know, are they like ghost peppers? Just under ghost <laughs> peppers, but higher than, you know, pepperoncinis? The merciless peppers of Quetzalcoatl Tenango. <gasps> you know, what exactly? How hot are those things? Grown deep in the jungle primeval by the inmates of a Guatemalan insane asylum. Well, we didn't see either of them drink a candle to coat their tongue in wax to begin with. Ooh, I don't feel so good. So Jake and Chance are, they're, uh, they're sweating it out. They're, uh, you know, eating one, outdoing each other. Pepper number one. It's very uh, reminiscent of that scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But before we can get an adequate conclusion to this, we're conveniently interrupted. Chance has to take a call from Callie. Yes, Miss Briggs? T-Bone, Razor, there's big trouble. It's Dark Cat. Which diverts his attention just long enough for Jake to pretend that he ate the last pepper. And he stashes it away in his flight suit. They get a call from Callie, find out there's a problem at the nuclear power plant, suit up and go. I get the feeling this episode was actually written around this this twist, quote-unquote, that we'll have later on, which has almost no payoff. As they're taking off, T-Bone asks Razor, Razor, tell the truth. Did you really eat that last Mongo pepper? You know, Jake has the most innocent-looking look on his face. Ah, T-Bone, I can't believe you'd even ask me that. Like, pats it again, which is weird to me, because he was wearing his jumpsuit, he put it in his pocket. It seems bizarre to me that he would take it out and put it in another pocket, that was my thought, too. I'm wondering if he's wearing two jumpsuits at this time. Jumpsuits were reversible or something. Like, their their flexes are, are beneath the jumpsuits, because why else would he have that thing in his pocket after suiting up? I think maybe he just figured T-Bone might, like, you know, check his pockets real quick before they head out. And, you know, if he left it in there, and then he would have found that out. So he had to keep carrying that on. It would have got nasty in his pocket, like, you know, when little kids try to hide their food in their pockets and then they forget about them until laundry day and you pull out. It's like, oh, what was this? I was wondering if the reason all these season one episodes are a little stiff in their animation is because the SWAT cats wore two layers of jumpsuits and that's why they don't move as quickly. 
That'd be awful hot. <laughs> well, they are flying out to the desert. So, yeah, it, two jumpsuits in a cockpit that, you know, has got a jet engine mi- mixed around in it. And you're in the desert. It's very hot. And, you know, the bad guy's got a heat beam. These guys are wearing fur. Well, isn't it? Didn't you all say the last episode, you know, they were worried about Calligan in there with the guy funk? Well, you know, that's probably why it is. They're sweating so hard from the two jumpsuits and razor stuff and peppers in his pockets. And, you know, probably is nasty in there. Uh, the Creeplings are still looting the main reactor. And this is a weird thing that I always hear all the time, or read, I should say, is people continually seem to theorize that Creeplings are immune to radiation. And I always ask why. Because in every episode, they're shown to be very disposable. I'm very confident that every Creepling that was handling a nuclear fuel rod kind of died later in the day or week. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you see Dark Cat later on, he never gets near those things at all. He's always a good 30 feet away. They're not immune to radioactive material. They just don't care. And here's where I'm going to bring one of my personal theories in the fandom. Uh, They kind of look like little demonic things. So maybe the heat and everything just doesn't bother them because maybe they came from a really hot place. Here on level one of robot hell. His lair isn't a volcano, so that would explain it. He lets them handle the radioactive material and put them in a lead case. And, yeah, that, that's smart. That's smart. But then he goes and, you know, he's surrounded by them. There's got to be residual radiation clinging to them that is now... Is this the reason why he turned purple? SWAT cats arrive on scene, and in true pro-wrestling fashion, our heel cannot be allowed to get a clean one, two, three on our faces... So Dark Cat distracts the referee by predictably shooting down Angora and the Cat's Eye News Chopper Team, and metaphorically thumbs the eyes of the SWAT cats with his heat ray while they're distracted saving Angora's perfect bob haircut from a fiery doom. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And while her floating earrings, this is actually kind of the real first introduction to Anne. I mean, yeah, she was in the other ones, but you know, this is where we actually get to see her and and actually more than just running up as one of the background characters. This is Anne Gora of Cat's Eye News, live from the site of a spectacular disaster. She is the recurring nuisance. Yes. (laughs) And I was kind of disappointed because like, all right, yeah, she's going to... I want to see Dark Cat's expression when the SWAT cats whip his tail. Then, oh, you became the distraction. Thank you, Anne. Aww. Well, I really feel sorry for Anne because, you know, her editor or news stuff, they've sent her in a chopper over what is a nuclear reactor that's just been broken into. I mean, does the person be, you know, in, in charge not really care about Anne? She, oh, she's a headache. Just send her. She likes it, though. She don't care. I want a Pulitzer, dang it. A Pulitzer or death. But you already have five. Why do you need a sixth one? Because five looks like I can't do any more. Six makes it look like I'm still trying. People are always asking, why did Feral hire Steel? Why does he keep him around? As we've already established in previous episodes that Feral breaks the fourth wall, it's important that he keeps Steel around because he needs someone to dollop exposition onto. Don't think, listen. Very slowly and simply, as if Steel, and potentially the viewer, is a child. It's an inspired plan, sir. No, it's desperate and it's stupid. <laughs> I'm, of course, referring to the plan that Farrell explains. I'm going to try to sneak in. I'll take along a signal device so you and the enforcers can follow me. Which, if we're going to be completely objective here, not the worst plan ever, and arguably most of Farrell's plans aren't. The other thing that he also needs Steel is to make himself look better and to receive his own verbal barbs. Back off, Steel. Shut up, you idiot. If I don't come back, you're in command, Lieutenant. I'm hardly worthy, Commander. You can say that again. Because Farrell's received a lot of them already. The crud, as they say, seems to be rolling downhill. In a uh, in a deleted scene, Steel no doubt has a sock puppet he takes out to severely admonish when no one is looking. And he makes sure, you know, the sock puppet lets him know his name is with two E's and then shoves it in their face. You think I can't get along without Mr. Hat, don't you? 
You think I can't live without him? Well, I can. He's just a puppet. I don't need him. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, at this point, yeah, it's reckless, but this is one of the things that, as an older fan, as opposed to when I originally watched it, it's like, that was crazy, but he is willing, as the commander, to put himself in such high danger knowing he might not come back from this just to save the city. And I, I had to give him props for that later on, you know. I gotta be a Perhaps Commander Farrell knows that he can't die, and it's less heroic, and maybe he's just wanting to test that every time. Maybe fingers crossed that maybe this is the time it can all end. The SWAT cats, the turbo cat gets hit by the heat ray. Does not explode like the other jets, which allows them time to retreat because all their weapon systems are damaged, so they have to effect some quick hasty repairs. And this allows Dark Cat with Commander Farrell, who's explained his plan, to stow away aboard with a tracking device so that way Lieutenant Commander Steele can get the Air Force ready to go and track him down and save him and save the day. He's placed a lot of faith in Steele. Where's Farrell? He left, and I'm in charge. Which is funny because in his interaction, he doesn't seem to have any faith in him at all. You can say that again. <laughs> and, uh... And we transition back to the hangar where the SWAT cats are fixing things. Razor points out, This is all too weird, Chance. I mean, Dark Cat, Feral, it's like deja vu. And T-Bone's, like, perplexed. He has no idea what he's talking about. Deja vu? What do you mean? And with a few syllables later, he narrows his eyes. He's like, Remember, how could I ever forget? And it's, to me, I'm like, you've, you've been forgetting it for the last, for the entirety of the episode so far. Call recall. For the memory of a lifetime. T-Bone and Razor have a little flashback sequence in that they're talking about back when they were still members of the Enforcers, which makes a certain bit of sense. You get to see some different character models that you don't really ever see again, which I'm sure really annoyed the animators having to change things up a little bit because they hate doing extra work. Can't we just you know, paint the you know, SWAT cat jumpsuits grey and blue, you know? <laughs> Can we just change the color palette of the Turbo Cat? I mean, same thing, right? Our animators have to work, you know, 70 hours a week. They didn't want to do the extra five for fixing that. So we get the flashback sequence. Dark Cat is not a new villain. They kind of tease this throughout the episode. We see that Dark Cat has a little bit of hatred for the Enforcers. Destroy the justice machine that protects Megacat City. We don't know why. He just does. Jake and Chance were intercepting him. They try to shoot him down before he can drop a bomb on the newly constructed Enforcer building. It's the first time we actually see the Enforcer building in the show. It's a big, tall skyscraper that has sort of airfield helicopter pads right in the middle of the city. It seems like a giant insurance liability to me, but it still looks cool, so I guess we can forgive it for that. There isn't even a guardrail! <laughs> it's like the Death Star all over again. We have you know, all this fancy equipment and nobody could think to put in a guardrail! What's wrong with the designers? Oh, they throw off the aesthetic. You have to wear your parachute. Don't matter if you're working on the sixth floor or all the way up there. You gotta have your parachute on. So Jake and Chance, as enforcers, intercept Dark Cat. They shoot him with a missile which disables his attack. The uh, other enforcers who are also chasing after Dark Cat sort of just lazily break off pursuit. I guess those guys didn't get reprimanded at any point. Jake and Chance are the only ones who continue to pursue Dark Cat into the city. Commander Farrell shows up. This is Farrell. Fall back, you two. I'll handle Dark Cat. He interrupts them. They get into a little uh, Skype disagreement. Farrell wants to finish off Dark Cat. T-Bone says, Negative, Commander Farrell. We already have our missiles locked. It's our tag! I'm ordering you to back off! Commander Farrell's jet collides with Jake and Chance's. Ironically, the jet crashes into the Forge headquarters, blows it up, and does Dark Cat's job for him, even though he was thwarted earlier. And in the chaos that ensues, Dark Cat escapes. And Commander Farrell totally puts the blame on Jake and Chance. We get the very iconic scene. You're off the force! Of them on the ground floor, the upper floors of Enforcer Headquarters still on fire. And they're just standing out in front of it, you know, no danger or nothing. And what's interesting about that is Farrell meets them at the steps. I can forgive 
the notion that because Jake and Chance parachuted out, they arrived somewhere near it. But because Enforcer headquarters is destroyed, Farrell has nowhere to land, so he'd probably have to go over to the next nearest airport, call up an Uber or something, and then <laughs> speed up to get to Enforcer headquarters to meet them up right there. Very hastily and angrily, I, I would not want to be the driver in the car taking him there. With paperwork in hand. He had the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> Those forms were ready to go. Yeah, so he probably had to stop by some ancillary field office, get some Xerox copies made. They make use of, what do they call it on uh, TV tropes? Hammer space or that, that yep. area behind your back you can reach into. Yeah, cartoon, cartoon yep. pocket or something. Cartoon pocket. The SWAT cats have that for their weapons, devices, and gadgets. Farrell has one for paperwork and manila folders. It's very, very well used. What else would you keep in that long coat? The most boring hammer space of all. Uh, they get into argument with Farrell. Farrell says, like, oh, this is a horrible thing. Why'd you disobey orders? And, you know, he threatens to fire them, but then they sort of quit. I think he still technically fires them. Suits us. Who needs his crud anyway? They walk away. They toss their helmets over their back, cross their arms. It's a fun scene where Farrell delivers his epic line. I said you're off the force, but not off the hook. And he does something of legal questionability. They have to pay for the damage to the building. I don't know if uh, Farrell had gone to a judge and gotten like a civil court proceeding or award done in that amount of time as well. Judge Judy works fast. Judgment for the plaintiff in the amount of $820. You're a very lucky guy, sir. You're a very lucky guy because you don't deserve it. So their, their punishment is they have to go work off this debt at a military salvage yard. It's run by our two favorite characters, uh, Burke and Murray. They very nicely and understandingly welcome them to the salvage yard. Hey, look, boy, it's those two hot shots who wrecked the new enforcer building. <laughs> Don't look so hot now, do they? <laughs> the reactions, if you look at the Twitter, I made fun of this scene a little while ago. The animation is either really terrible or really great, depending on your point of view, with the expressions on Jake and Chance, who are absolutely mortified by their current predicament. Burke and Murray rub it in pretty effectively. Hey, Farrell says you guys gotta run the salvage yard till you pay back every penny it costs to rebuild the enforcer building. Yeah, and that your present salary should only take a thousand years! <laughs> You are sentenced to spending time with these guys. <laughs> Our characters are at their lowest point. Jake seems to have the idea like, oh, we can take all of this uh, stuff, recycle it, and build our own jet. Back in the air and get back at Dark Cat. It's a very inspirational speech. They have a little transition where they high-five each other, which then transitions to a high-five in the present. Well, high-four, technically. I like to think that these characters, you know, when they have these flashbacks, just go, oh blank stare on their faces. T-Bone? T-Bone? You alright? Oh no, he's remembering things again. We have Farrell on Dark Cat's fear ship, trying to contact Steel and tell him, I'm on board, send him back up, let's get this done. And Steel, shockingly, says that they can't scramble any jets because of mechanical issues. And, and tells him to just hang tight till they're soon and then just hangs up on the guy. And this cracks me up even more considering we kept saying that Farrell can break the fourth wall. He basically looks at his phone in disbelief and says, He hung up on me. Turns to the audience. The little creep hung up on me. <laughs> it's like, okay, we've established that. Thanks for letting us know too. <laughs> Gotta make sure you're keeping up in case you missed it. They must have thought children weren't very observant. We were, but whatever. That leads to a, a failed attempt. Commander Farrell essentially uh, captured Dark Cat. He's uh, quickly overcome by Creeplings. Uh, something that Creeplings do a few more times in this show, so they're, they're a little bit more clever than most people think they are. Well, that's not clever. Maybe capable. I was about to say clever is debatable. <laughs> Dark Cat has this little, like, long, almost Shakespearean soliloquy. Welcome aboard the Doomsday Express, Commander. 
He knows that there's a feral's in the back. He was wondering when he was going to come up. He chides him. Imagine it was getting rather chilly in the cargo bay. He knows that he's being tracked. He doesn't care. His plan is going to go along anyways. So maybe our theory about him preferring an audience isn't completely off base. So where, pray tell, is Dark Cat going to? Well, we see that he flies his ship into an active volcano. Thanks to his impenetrable force field, the lava sort of just curtains around his ship as he flies into his really cool lair. As far as villainous layers go, I think this one would, uh, you know, be priced pretty high on Zillow. You'd you know, you'd be hard-pressed to top this one. <laughs> he always had the best layers, man. You got the cat face thing carved out, you got all the lava, the way the pit comes in. I think he must, you know, read uh, Bitter Homes and Gardens or, you know, Evil Housekeeping or something, because, you know, everybody else's lairs are just, uh, vipers in a filthy swamp. It will be so beautiful. Or the sewer, and, you know, everybody else really doesn't have one. But again, he doesn't have a guardrail by the spike pit. Well, I can understand him having a spike pit. This is his house. He's allowed to have a feature. But, you know, if you're just waking up in the morning, how many times have you gone, whoa, dear, no. <laughs> Nearly fall down there again. Where's the milk? <laughs> Commander Farrell's actions aren't completely pointless because his tracking device, the SWAT cats are able to piggyback off of it. So they're able to, you know, track down this volcano layer. They land outside. They use their x-ray beam again, a very handy piece of technology. Uh, they find there's a whole network of caves and tunnels. The super specific SWAT cats tool slash weapon of the day today is... Releasing mole missile. Now! I think Razor had that labeled on the missile rack as uh, uh, used in episode 3. He fires that, it drills a hole into the side of the volcano, which allows ingress into the volcano. The SWAT cats board a new vehicle, the two-seat cyclotron, so it comes out from the inside of the turbo cat. There's a lot of space in this thing. It just rolls right out and they head on inside. Also, we are introduced for the first time to the Globatrixis. That is true. The Glovatrix is the signature anti-personnel weapon of the SWAT cats. In the first season, uh, worn on either hand, usually they only wear one. Particular episode, you could wear two, which is pretty cool. A nerd. Contains a lot of uh, miniature versions of the SWAT cats' arsenal. I don't know why they don't wear them all the time, because they're designed to, uh, you know, still allow dexterity to be maintained, which is kind of neat. Nerd! Kind of reminiscent of Deadshot's gauntlets in uh, DC Comics. I always liked the Glover Tricks. I thought that was one of the coolest, most signature, I think he said. It's, like, it's kind of like the missiles. Use this, load this Glover Tricks up with, you know, the nets, the bolas. The, I mean, there's no way they could have fit all of that in there. So I think they had to selectively choose when they went on a mission yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I'd really hate to, uh, you know, mix up those episodes that I prepared my weapons for because it would just be a disaster. Oh no, I've got the buzzsaw missiles for the Metallicats. You could still try to grind HP with those if you survive. I can level up! <laughs> level up with third jumpsuit. The SWAT cats infiltrate Dark Cat's volcano lair. He's well aware of this. He has security cameras everywhere. He has a trap set up for him. I can't imagine the private contractor having to install are these magma tubes. It kind of turns them on like a faucet and just drains into the tunnel that the SWAT cats happen in. Very specific, very expensive looking precaution to take. And also, when is he going to use that tunnel again? I mean, you can't go back through it, it's full of lava! You know how difficult lava is to sweep up? I'm just imagining the construction foreman, he's looking at the blueprints, he's like, wait, we just we just put another dead-end tunnel lava trap on this side. Should you want another one right here? And then he says, why are you questioning me? Blam! Alright, next guy, come here. You're foreman now. <laughs> So the SWAT cats, they have to turn the cyclotron around quickly. They're being chased by lava. Uh, the cyclotron zooms over the edge of the precipice, drops down the lava, a little poof. It disappears. It's a very sad scene. Totally convinced they didn't survive at all. Roll the final credits. We're done. 
Apparently it's enough for Dark Cat because he turns off his security camera. Well, that, that was fun. Now back to destroying the city. Throughout the duration of most of this episode, Feral is uh, gagged and bound to a stalactite, stalagmite, one of those. Stalactites hang down. He's bound and gagged and doing a lot of good facial acting and watching as Dark Cat explains his uh, plan to destroy the city. Doomsday. And uh, in case no one figured it out by now, the reason he was stealing these nuclear fuel rods was to build a nuclear bomb. Doomsday. He's having the Creeplings put the finishing touches on that while he stands a very, very safe distance away. Yes, don't want to have any accidents, he tells them. As he waves his bling hand up. I believe I may have misplaced some merchandise at this residence. I'll slap you with my ring hand. This is a very custom bomb. Doomsday. It has a lot of uh, little accents and highlights and body work done on it to make it look extra menacing. Yeah, I mean, who are those spikes really for? It's not really going to make the bomb any more effective. They're not for you, they're for me! This is my identity! It's his brand! One part that I do love about that scene is how he once again is explaining his whole plan to Feral. Doomsday. So it's like, after he just turns off the... Uh, the security camera says, well, so much for, for SWAT cats. And then he turns to Farrell and says, where was I? Oh, yes. Doomsday. Like saying, where was I? Oh, yes, my monologue. Let me explain my evil plan one more time. Doomsday. It's important to note that throughout this whole scene, Farrell has been discreetly freeing himself from his restraints. And I'm just thinking this entire time, he doesn't care about the city, the explosion or nothing. He just wants to pick up that rock and smash his head in so that way he doesn't have to hear him talk anymore. Doomsday. Oh, you've already said this to me in the, in the plane. Doomsday. You can hear him sitting there going, I think he's saying, I'm going to get you da -da -da or something. <laughs> tired of hearing the monologue. Doomsday. And again, Dark Track shows his strength and just punches a pow one KO and he's out. Oh yeah, he he Batmans it. He totally no look, you know, hand punches him there over the shoulder. Can we just talk about his plan for a moment? Doomsday. He plans to use a nuclear bomb to destroy the city so he can put another city there. Radiation hangs around for a long time. And cities cost a lot of money. How is he going to build a new city there and also deradiate the place? And this is to make the lawless Dark Cat City. Well, lawlessness is the law of the land. One of the laws that you have to make a city is taxes. If it's lawless, nobody's going to pay for the city that he wants to build. There, the only law is there are no laws. Isn't that a paradox or an oxymoron? It's an oxyparadox. So after Dark Cat finishes explaining his flawless plan, Doomsday. and he defeats Feral with that backhanded Batman slap, <gasps> all seems to be lost. Who's going to stop this guy? You know, surprise or not, uh, the SWAT cats show up and interrupt. They did not die. They used their Glovatrixes, grappling hooks specifically, to somehow off-camera jump off the cyclotron and save themselves from a fiery lava magma death. <laughs> T-Bone winds up in hand-to-hand -hand combat with Dark Cat. Fight! He goes to punch him in the face, but Dark Cat intercepts, grabs his palm, squeezes, and it's really painful. A lot of times you'll see villains who are really a cerebral but hands-off sort of thing, whereas Dark Cat seems to have... He has the power to back up his brain. And he's about to military press him into a pit of spikes below. And the fans go wild! He awkwardly kicks Dark Cat in the face in a sort of way that doesn't seem physiologically possible. It seems to be Dark Cat's soft spot because he just goes down like a stack of bricks. Allows, was it Razor who shoots the net at him that keeps him a little to save Yeah, yeah it was Razor. Throw a net over that guy! It finally works! It's, that's enforcer training, that is. Because I am hard, you will not like me! But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. Dark Cat very pragmatically tells his creeplings to keep working and load up the bomb. Long story short, a SWAT cat's free feral. Uh, Dark Cat manages to escape with the bomb loaded up into his aircraft and takes off into the sky. The SWAT cats, along with Commander Feral now, they go outside. 
And then the cavalry arrives, led by Commander Steele. A bunch of jets show up. So the uh, the SWAT cats aren't forced to uh, give Commander Farrell a ride home anywhere. So he doesn't have to get squeezed into that cockpit. Call him an Uber. There's no Uber in this area. Well, crud. I'm sorry, you want me to drive where? An active volcano? So Farrell, he's still cognizant enough to berate Steel. Lights against you all the way, Steel. Steel, very... It's just so pathetic sounding. Oh, sorry, sir. We had trouble getting organized. Just the, the lamest excuse. And it, it, I, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> now, if you were an observant viewer, you might be thinking like, hey, this seems a little familiar. I wonder if this is going to be some sort of callback to something I saw earlier in the episode. There's a who? If you thought that... You will not be disappointed because we have a parallel scene where the SWAT cats are in pursuit of Dark Cat with Commander Farrell being part of the mix again. Except this time around, they have to do a little bit of aerobatic type shenanigans here where the SWAT cats decide to fly underneath the ship as Dark Cat opens up his bomb bay. He's ready to unload! Getting ready to drop the bomb. Doomsday. He still wants to target Enforcer Headquarters even though he has a nuclear weapon. You know, you could really drop that pretty much anywhere near it, and it'd probably still have the same effect. They did stop him blowing it up the last time. I wanted the credit for that. I didn't want the enforcers to blow up their own building. I wanted to do it. I should be the one working the salvage out of the way. Well, Dark Cat did learn from the last one, because the last time he didn't have the force field thing going. And this time, you know, I think he thought that was going to be the advantage that would work it out. Other than that, it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> so the SWAT cats, they're positioned underneath. I guess they want to disarm it, not risk just blowing it up midair because it might, you know, still have the same overall effect. As we're treated to the use of the Glovatrix again, Razor opens up the canopy. He Batmans up to the uh, Fear Ship above. Fear Ship, Doomsday Express. I don't think it's actually named either technically. It's more of a fanon term, but is, is there a crowd? No, he says, welcome to the Doomsday Express, Commander. No! <laughs> well, that's why we have you on the show. <laughs> His first instinct actually isn't to disarm the bomb. He tries to disable it by cabling it to the releases so it can't drop. Uh, Dark Cat quickly notices this. He sends down some creeplings to go break that up a little bit. As they swarm Razor, the big payoff finally arrives where that, that Mongo Pepper that you know he'd stashed earlier. Pepper X Machina! Did you say Pepper X Machina? <laughs> <laughs> That's the smallest X Machina ever. I picked that up at the produce aisle. Hmm, they're having a sale on the, on the X Machina peppers. So he manages to retrieve it. He squirts it. One of the creeplings' eyes, it probably kills him instantly. The other creeplings, in the meantime, had managed to free... The, uh, the restraints razor placed on the bomb, and it drops out in very, uh... Doctor Strange Love, how I stop... Learn to stop worrying and learn to love the atomic bomb. So the only thing missing from this scene is Razor wearing a cowboy hat. As he quickly descends down to the city below, he radios over to T-Bone and says he has to disarm the bomb midair as it's falling, and he has to disarm it before it impacts, detonates, whatever... So T-Bone has to go solo and chase after Dark Cat. He's really not feeling too confident because he's good at flying things, but not so good at shooting things. I knew I should have stayed home today. Uh, we're introduced to the auxiliary weapons panel. One of the weapons that was teased earlier on was the new Scrambler missile. This is a staple of the SWAT Cat's arsenal. It is used a bunch. It's similar to the Megavolt missile from the previous episode, but it seems a little more streamlined, a little bit more sort of kind of past the quality assurance phase and testing and is the uh, the production model that's available for consumers to purchase. Zap it for only nineteen ninety five. And this is where our callback happens, where for some reason uh, Commander Farrell has chosen Lieutenant Commander Steele as his sort of weapons officer wingman who's flying with him in the back seat. I'm not really trained for this. Steele... For some reason, he doesn't seem to know how to do anything. I, I don't have any experience in this, sir. I've never, never been in an actual air fight. I think I'm going to be sick. I'm sorry I can't aim, sir. I can't see past your massive shoulders. 
This was Feral's revenge, and I do like that scene because he basically said, after everything you put me through, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a taste of your own medicine. You want my job? This is what you have to do. I just think it's funny, like, a, you know, Robert was saying earlier, Matt, how did he get his job? You know, this dude's airsick. Why would you even want this job if you know you're gonna eventually have to get into a plane? He's already had a, he been in the plane. He flew the plane over to Feral. Well, that, that's true. I wonder why that's true. I wonder if they had to have him. Like, he has to carry around those little bags that the Uber and Lyft drivers carry around. So you know, okay, I'm good. That's. I also want to say that missile falls for a long time. The the bomb. All this is happening while Razor's on his phone. How high were they? Because Steel is unable to really do anything useful. Big surprise. Uh, Farrell's unable to take down Dark yet. T-Bone cuts him off. He s uses the smoke screen button, very uh, Knight Rider style. He zooms in front of him. And then now T-Bone is the one who has to engage Dark Cat. Clearly his hand's a little shaky, but he, he pulls through. He fires the scrambler missile, disables the force field, which is a huge surprise to Dark Cat. He was not expecting this at all. No! My shields are short circuited! And Gora kind of, the episode would have ended a lot earlier if she hadn't gotten in the way, because he would use the scrambler and then they would have taken him down. <laughs> so it's like, you know, let's thank Angora for making this episode a lot longer. Thanks, Anne. T-Bone's able to finish the job eventually here. He shoots down Dark Cat. Meanwhile, the Razor is disarming the bomb in free fall. He opens up a panel. He's talking out loud. Piece of cake. Just remember, always cut the red wire. He opens up the panel. He sees that all of the wires are red. Oh, Dark Cat, you miserable psycho! Here's, here's how Dark Cat knew the difference. They're not all red. He was an art student. So he knows this one is burgundy. This one is brick. This one's apple. See, that, that it was all right for him. He, he understood. He was an art student. That explains a lot. I like to envision that yeah, he's made this bomb, but then he's taken it apart and then stripped all the wires and then recoated them in red. Knowing, just knowing, that if somebody was able to climb onto the bomb as it was falling, they would have no clue. Razor cuts one of the wires in the hopes that it works. He pulls his chute, descends away. The bomb humorously collides right through the Enforcer Headquarters landing strip, but it does not detonate. It's just sort of there as an amusing sort of takeaway. And he lands safely. He makes a very good callback. But uh, you better pick me up at Enforcer Headquarters before Farrell comes back and sticks us with another bill. Enforcer Headquarters has been not completely destroyed, but that's at least a, a weekend's worth of downtime right there. Gotta get the plasterers in, you know, smooth it all over. After carefully removing it. Oh yes, the, there is still radioactive rods in there. I like to think they just wheelbarrow that thing back to the power plant and just connect a couple of cables to it and call it a day. It'd be, it'd be worse if they were, you know, the lift was broken and so they had to wheelbarrow it down the stairs. That was the third episode of SWAT Cats, The Wrath of Dark Cat. It's as close to an origin story as I think we will get in this show. To me, it kind of creates more questions than answers because there are two Commander Ferals in this episode. There's the Commander Feral of the flashback, and there's the heroic, dedicated to his job Commander Feral that we see throughout the course of this episode in the present day. This is a theory that I had. I don't know if anyone else had it. But I always wondered if the flashback scene, because the SWAT cat's memories are oh so 100% accurate and never fail. Forget. How could I ever remember? <laughs> I was always wondering if this was an example of unreliable narration told through the viewpoint of T-Bone, who is, let's just say, a little bit biased when it comes to Commander Farrell. That guy looks like he hasn't hit the litter box in a week. And I'm wondering if he's really remembering what happened accurately. That is a very good theory. I can see that, but honestly, from that, they were still kind of both at fault. It's like two guys fighting over who's going to be the man and take down Dark Cat. But the only difference is, one of those men has rank. True. Which is why they should have listened, but you can make the argument Farrell should have listened. My stick is bigger than your stick. I mean, that could be, but, you know, as we all know, the whole show is geared towards, you know... Spot cats are the good guys. You know, they're better than Feral because he's a, you know, a butt. And 
that's just the way it is. I don't know. That is an interesting theory, though. It's interesting to see their motivations because it seemed like they had really high ideals in the flashback, but on a day-to-day -day basis, it seems that most of their activities are inspired by complete, utter, staggering boredom. <laughs> Before. They're getting a lot of work. All the stuff that happens in the city that gets brought there. So, I don't know. Maybe they're just not doing their jobs. I don't know. As another, ha, take that, Pharaoh. We're not going to work. Bingo. Let it just pile up out there. Well, you know, they've got a lot of free time because why did you build a scrambler missile? I don't know. Seemed like a good idea at the time. What else am I going to do in my day? I always pictured Jake with a sketchbook 24-7. Maybe he and Dark Hat were in the same art class. He copied Jake, and then Jake ratted him out, so he turned to a life of crime. You know, if Dark Cat and Jake shared that same class, perhaps there was some horrible art accident that maybe Jake was a part of that caused Dark Cat's face to become disfigured somehow, and Dark Cat holds that against them. This is pretty uninspired. The big bad Doctor Doom kidnapping me just to lure us here to your wretched little island. I'm a tough act to get off the stage. <laughs> I like this game. Mind if I cut in? <laughs> Named after everyone's favorite insane psychotic court jester villain, a Mad Cat moment is anything that even within the context of SWAT Cats is either strange, weird, bizarre, or silly. Now it's time for our hosts to pick their Mad Cat moment of the episode. The bomb. His, his doomsday bomb. Doomsday. All that talking and T-Bone and, and I don't understand too why T-Bone thought Razor was dead. There was no explosion anywhere, I guess because he was, he had seemed to have more of a grasp of the time and was just like, you know, but meanwhile, this missile's falling, 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 and oh, Deja flew all over again. I, I just, I just couldn't get over how long it took that, that doomsday bomb to drop. <laughs> I just can't get over that. Dark Cat is a very smart man. You're not going to drop a bomb and not have enough time to get away. The fight in the cave with Dark Cats, Razor fighting with the Creeplings. He did not land a single hit on those things. It's like he's basically dancing with them more than fighting them. Ninja style dance fighting. Flawless victory. Do the Creepling. Do the Creepling. Now do the one wing shuffle. My Mad Cat moment of the week, I'm going to call the Foreman's Revenge. Because these security cameras are strategically placed so he sees the landing of the uh, psychotron and he sees the path to the hole doesn't actually see them fall so clearly the foreman has gone right you've thrown the other guy into the lava you've thrown this guy into a pit you know there's no guardrail i'm just gonna wire these cameras up so that you can't see the crucial moment that's gonna be your downfall do you know the klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served My favorite part of this episode is the debut of Lieutenant Commander Steele. That's with two E's. When the SWAT cats show up on the scene, they're unsuccessful in their first attempt to stop Dark Cat because they're busy saving Angora. Steele's first instinct is to just start laughing hilariously at them. <laughs> Look, Commander, the SWAT cats have failed. I'm just knee slapping. Look, these guys failed. Look, these guys saved the woman! <laughs> And Commander Farrell's response to that is so appropriate. Shut up, you idiot. This is no time to gloat. It was so ridiculous that even Farrell had to point it out and reel things back in. One more thing. It's to do with command, uh, Lieutenant Commander Steele. That's with two E's. And he has three E's in his name. That's the, It always got me. The guy can't spell his own name right. How is he a Lieutenant Commander? <laughs> Whose cousin is he? Whose nephew? <laughs> See, that one, I, of course, I've never seen this as a last name. Maybe he thought people were going to wrongfully, you know, credit him as S-T-E-A-L-E. -E? I don't know. <laughs> There's some silent consonants in there, a couple of T's and H's. We pronounce the silent P quietly. 
I want to say thank you to everyone for joining us for this episode of the podcast. My name is Matt, better known as Modad. Die, otherwise known as Minty Sage. Robert, otherwise known as Knee Knight. And guest villain, Mary, also known as Felony. Hopefully uh, we'll be having the next episode focused around uh, Destructive Nature, which is Lance Falk's first written episode of the show that we know of, and it's pretty fun. So hopefully we'll be able to get that coming out a little sooner. I know we had a little delays with our August schedules, having different things come up, so uh, maybe we'll make these a little more consistent, but who knows? We'll see. Remember, you can find us at podcast.swatcats.info, Twitter at, at the Swatcats, and of course, you go to swatcats.info, you can find you know, links to other things. And of course, as I'm reminded about, you can also go to darkcat.com, which is run by Felony Cat, also known as Dark Cat's Doomsday Page. It's sadly in need of an update. It's, there's not much more to say. <laughs> this has been a SWATCats.info production. At SWATCats.info, you can find hundreds of entries, thousands of images, and links to all the great fan creations across the internet. Thanks for listening. VX Machina Pepper. The vegetable of a thousand uses. You can eat it. You can use it as a barometer to test your minds. You can even use it to thwart the schemes of criminals everywhere. VX Machina Pepper. Is there anything you can't do? Doomsday.